0: if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're going from verse 8 in chapter 5 through verse 9 of chapter 6, and so it's a longer passage, um, but it's another good one. So here's Ecclesiastes 5 verses 8 through chapter 6 verse 9. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that they have children and there's nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I have observed to be good, that it's appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of their life God has given them. For this is their lot." Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor, So that they lack nothing their heart's desire, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. And strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say the stillborn child is better off than he It comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place? Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. What advantage have the wise over fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Better what the eye sees than in the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And this is the word of the Lord. So, as, as some of you know, I uh, before call my call to ministry, and even a few years after I began in ministry, I ran a a dock and boat lift business. Or in Wisconsin, you'd call it a peer service. (laughs) But in Minnesota, it's a dock and boat lift business. And um, as I ran that business, I learned a lot about money. But the things I learned about money, I learned not so much from the business itself, but from my customers, And there's one one story that I think kind of stands out and one job that I did that's a perfect example. Um, And just to kind of get an idea, to get the picture clearly, you have to realize that when you run a dock business, your main customers are wealthy. Because the average Joe Schmo isn't going to pay somebody to go. Do, I wouldn't pay anybody to do the job that I was doing, right? So that, that was kind of a weird thing for me to be. But, but the wealthy people, they were doing that. So most of my customers were really wealthy. And so I remember showing up to this job. And it was a really easy job to do. Um, it, I'd done it before. It went smoothly. I was having a hard time finding help. And so I thought, I could probably just do this whole thing by myself. It's pretty easy. And so I, I showed up to the job to do it myself, and my customer was standing there with his friend. And just to kind of get the picture in your mind, um, my customer was standing, and I, I, it's hard to explain what he was wearing, but if you just want to picture any stereotype you might have of a wealthy person hanging out at their lake cabin for the weekend, that's what he looked like, right? So just... He was the stereotypical wealthy person hanging out at his big lake home for the weekend. But he was standing with his buddy, and his buddy was standing there in jeans and a sleeveless flannel shirt, like Larry the Cable Guy. And so we had this kind of a stark contrast between these two guys hanging out and, and talking. And so I talked to them for a little while, and I went off and started working on the dock. I think I was pulling it out of the water, so I was getting it all ready. And as I was working on it, his buddy all of a sudden showed up in a pair of waders and was out in the water helping me. And I said, oh, I've got this. You don't have to help me. And he said, I can't sit up there and watch you work by yourself. i got to be out here helping you. And I remember just kind of stopping and taking in the the scene that here's me and this buddy working on the dock while the the owner sat in his yard sipping on a cocktail watching us do the job. And I'll have to be honest, I wasn't real impressed and I had thoughts going through my brain probably coming out of my mouth (laughs) about how I appreciated the average blue-collar worker and all of these lazy white-collar workers sitting back and making us do all the work and yada, yada, yada. But my stereotype changed very drastically at the end of the job. I finished the job up, and I was packing all my stuff up at the trailer. My customer came to, to give me the check and to, to pay things, and so I was talking to him, and he said, well, you know who you were working with all day, don't you? No, Larry the Cable Guy? I don't know who. And uh, he went on to start bragging about his friend, the one who was working with me in a sleeveless flannel and jeans. He was the CEO of some multi-million dollar company and owned some multi-million dollar mansion of a cabin on a lake far north in Minnesota and, and rubbed shoulders with all the rich and important and influential people in Minnesota and... And the guy, every word that he was telling me, bragging about his friend, right, dripped with awe and envy. He wanted to be like this guy. And that's when it hit me that the difference between these two men was not white collar, blue collar. (laughs) And it wasn't even necessarily, it wasn't an issue about one being rich and the other one being poor. The guy working with me in the water had more money than any of us could ever imagine um, the issue was the love of money. It was, that was the core issue. The guy in the water had way more money than we could ever imagine. He just didn't love it. It was just something he got through hard work. But, but my customer, who sat there drinking cocktails, watching all of us work, he loved money. He wanted everyone to think that he had money. All of his life was revolved around having this image of having money, and so he dressed to show everybody that he had money. He bought a cabin to show everybody that he had money. He hired a dock guy to come and do it to show everybody that he had money. He liked hanging around with people who had money because it helped him feel like he had more money. And it was, I saw this over and over and over again as I ran the dock business, that the the customers who treated me like dirt, like some insignificant little servant boy, um, were the ones who actually didn't have much money, but loved it. And it was all about the money, and they wanted everyone else to think they had money. But I had other customers who were as wealthy or more wealthy than the guy I was working with in the water, And they didn't love their money. And they treated me with dignity and respect, and they were like salt-of-the-earth people. You would have no idea that they had so much money. And that's what Ecclesiastes is talking about. It says in verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And this too is meaningless. If, if you love money, you will never have enough and you will never be satisfied and you'll be caught in this just perpetual search for more and more and more. You'll never be satisfied and you will be caught in a meaningless pursuit. And yet this is what our culture is teaching all of us. And uh, <laughs> I used to get pretty... I I was a youth pastor, right, for 10 years, and so I dealt with a lot of kids who are coming to their senior year and trying to figure out what they were going to do with the rest of their lives. And I can't tell you the number of times the advice given to them by their parents, by the schools, by other people is, just find a job that you make a lot of money. That'll make it all good. And I just would say, No! (laughs) No, that's not the answer. I had friends who went into... They had people come in and tell them, if you get this job, yeah, the job is terrible. It's really miserable. But you're going to make so much money, life is going to be good. And so they pursued it. And they hated their job. And they hated their life. And there was nothing... And I see lots of teenagers and young adults that that's their goal. I'm going to find a job. I don't have to like it. I just have to make a lot of money, and then I will be happy. I'll hate my job, which I have to do every day of the week, but I'll be happy. And it's crazy, and we all get caught up in it, this pursuit and love of money, and the reality is you never have enough. You never You never end up having enough. You never are satisfied with what you're making. There's always something that could be a little better. Maybe a a car that doesn't break down as much will make me happier. or, Or a nicer boat, or a better house, or a pool, or whatever is going to make me happy. Only if I had a little more money. Things would be better. But in verse 11, he says, As goods increase... So do those who consume them. What benefits are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? I mean, and the more you make, guess what? The more you end up spending. It, it, we all know that that's the case. I've talked to people over the years, over and over and over again. They've been working hard. They've been doing their job just longing for that raise so that they don't have to live paycheck to paycheck anymore. And they finally get the raise and they go, whew, and then two months later, they go, I'm still living paycheck to paycheck. I don't get it. I'm making more money than I ever have, and yet I'm still just not quite making it to the next paycheck. Why am I so strapped? Because the more money you make, the more you spend. As goods increase, so does those that consume them. And, and the author of Ecclesiastes in verse 7 of chapter 6 gives us a good metaphor he said, everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. I mean, it's interesting to think about, right? Every day of your life, you put, you know, two, 3,000 calories <laughs> of food in, through your mouth. It's never enough. The next day, guess what you have to do? Eat two or three more thousand calories. You could, you could try to eat like 10,000 calories in one day and then hope it'll last you through the week. But guess what? It won't. Eventually, you're going to need more. And he says it just, to be crass, he said it just kind of keeps coming in and then coming out. And you're never satisfied. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. And he says it is the same thing as money. And wealth. And I, I was thinking about it. <coughs> it may be a little crass, but I was thinking it's, it's just like a septic line. It just there it just kind of flows through from one end to the other. And, and a raise is only making the septic line bigger. You may have a, a four inch septic line and you can only have so much coming in and only so much going out. You get a raise and you get a four-inch septic line. You get more coming in, but guess what? More comes right out the back door. Even if you get a septic line that's six or twelve inches big. It's not about be increasing the size of the pipe. It's, it's a meaningless pursuit. And you'll never be satisfied. And then he ties it back in, in verse 8, he ties it back in with, Oppression and injustice again. He says, If you see the poor oppressed in the district, and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. It's interesting. He says, You look out at the world and you see oppression and injustice says don't be surprised at that because that's what happens when we reject God. That's what happens in the world when we reject God because what ends up happening is we end up worshiping, we stop worshiping God and we grab hold of our idols and in particular the idol of money leaves you, well, any worship of an idol leaves you unsatisfied and always searching for more. But so does the pursuit of Money. And now you have people caught in this endless pursuit of never being satisfied, always seeking more. If I have more, I'll be satisfied. I need, 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 like an addict. And then they run over people in order to get more, to make themselves happy. And uh, and and he says, you know, they try to climb up the ladder of success. Because with success comes money, right? And so they wanna, they, one high official wants to get up to the next higher official and he gets up to the next spot and he realizes, oh, there's another guy above me and there's another above me and there's another above me and all of them are searching for the same thing. Everyone's trying to climb up the ladder. Everyone's trying to get more money, more power. And they, eventually they don't care who they run over to get there. And he says, when, when a society ends up being driven by the love of money and the love of power, there will always be oppression and injustice. And when we reject God, we end up being driven by money and power and a whole bunch of other things, and there will always be oppression and injustice. And so he says, we shouldn't be surprised, because this is what happens when we reject God. Is when, you, when you try to kick God off of His throne which we can't do, but people try to pretend that way. Now there's an empty seat. And who's fighting for it? Everyone. Everyone's fighting for it. And some people even fight so hard to put themselves in God's spot because they think, if I get in that spot, I will run the world better than Him. I'll fix things. If, if I, I don't care. I may trample on some people to get myself into this position of authority so that when I'm there, then I can really help people so they get there and there's no one to check their power and they run ragged over people and there's oppression, there's injustice because we're never satisfied when we search for these things power and wealth never satisfy and people get we leave when we pursue these things with all of our heart soul mind and strength we leave a, a, a wake of dead bodies in our path as people and as a country and as Whatever. And not only do we end up leaving you know, a wake of dead bodies in our path, we end up ruining our own lives in the pursuit. And that's what he talks about in verses 13 through 17 of chapter 5. He says, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children there's nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart, and what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great affliction, great frustration and anger. If you want to build off of the sewer pipe metaphor, some may say, well, the answer is, if it just keeps flowing through, we just need to put a septic tank there and just collect it all. Just gather it up, store it up for the future, right? And yet it's still stuff flowing through, never meant to be stored up forever. And and, and he gives us this this. Story of this man or this image of a, of a man who is the epitome of Ebenezer Scrooge from the Christmas Carol. A man brooding over his money, hoarding it, a tight wad, never giving it to anyone, sowing what? Injustice, all of that stuff through his workplace. And he says he, he, he held on to all of his money. He didn't spend it. He just kind of brooded over it. He saved up. He had a lot of it. It was all stored away and then Something happened. stock market crashed. A pandemic hit, something completely out of control, and he lost everything. And he says, "So what was the point of all of that?" He made his life miserable. He made his family's life miserable, refusing to use any of the money that God had given him. He says, his family, they, they lived their days, they ate in darkness with great frustration, affliction and anger. And what was the result? They still died with nothing, like everyone else. Because we all end up leaving the world the same way that we came into it, with nothing. And so some would say, okay, well, we shouldn't brood it, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't hoard it, so let's just spend it. At least then we're not going to be Ebenezer Scrooge, we'll be somebody else, we'll spend it. Well... The first three verses of chapter 6, he says, "...I've seen another evil under the sun. It weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their heart's desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. Strangers enjoy them instead. And this is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children, live many years, yet no matter how long he lives... If he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say a stillborn child is better off than he is. He says we we can look out on the world and we can see that God gives some people wealth and possession and power, right? We see people, they have a lot of it. And they can spend that money on whatever they want. If they want something, they just buy it. They don't even have to think twice about it. They can just buy whatever their heart desires. And yet, he says, the one thing God doesn't give them, the ability to enjoy any of it. They spend, 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 buy whatever they want, and they don't enjoy any any of it. They can have everything, and they still enjoy nothing. And he says pretty harsh words. He says a stillborn child is better off. And he goes on and he says, at least a stillborn child has rest. But this person will spend their entire life always working, always spending, always trying to keep up with the Joneses and never being satisfied and never finding rest and never finding joy. That's not the answer. So what is the answer? Well, if you've been paying attention through the series, he kind of keeps pounding this one in our head over and over and over again, right? Verse 18 of chapter 5, he says, This is what I have observed to be good. It's appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. It says, here's the answer. Enjoy the gifts God has given you. That seems really simple. And in principle, it's simple. In living it out, in reality, it's not so simple. But but rather than living for the love of money, rather than living for the love of power, rather than trampling on people, rather than hoarding all of your money to yourself, rather than spending it all like crazy, he says, enjoy it. Enjoy what God has given you and be satisfied with what God has given you, whether it's much or little. Enjoy and be satisfied with the job God has given you. No matter what it is. Maybe it's not your dream job. But he says the, the the answer is, enjoy it anyways. Be satisfied with the job that God has given you. Enjoy and be satisfied with the food and the clothing that God has given you. Enjoy and be satisfied with the house that God has given you. Rather than searching, searching, searching for something better. Never, Never having enough. Always wanting more. Always wanting better. He says... Rest and enjoy what God has given you. And understand that the life you have right now is the gift of God for you right now. And we need to trust Him that that's enough. And we need to be satisfied in it and find joy. But the question is, what if you're not Okay, I know that, pastor, I know that the Bible tells me this, but I am just not satisfied with where I'm at. What do I need to do? How do I find rest? How do I find satisfaction? And the author tells us to seek God. If you look at verse 19, he says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, To accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. He says it's God who gives us our wealth and our possessions, but it's also God who gives us the ability to enjoy the wealth and the possessions that we have. And it's God who gives us the ability to accept our current situation in life and find joy and peace there. God is the only way we can have that gift. You can't find it on your own. You can't even muster it up in your own strength. You have to seek God and ask Him to give you that gift. And so if you find yourself unsatisfied and unjoyful in your life, the first step is to get on your knees and first ask forgiveness. Say, Lord, I'm sorry that I'm not as grateful as I should about what you've given me. I should be more thankful. Forgive me. And then you repent and seek to find joy and rest in what God has given you. And then ask God to give you the gift of the ability to enjoy what He's given you. Ask Him to please help me be satisfied with what you've given me. Please help me find joy in my current situation because that's the only way we'll find it. But also as we see as we Seek joy on our own, as we try to seek peace and joy, it's important to remember God's promises. And so we ask God to give us this gift, and we trust Him in that, but we also pursue peace and joy on our own. And one way we do that is through remembering the promises of God. And one really important promise in this um, comes with the Great Commission. And so as as the kind of the, not the final words of Jesus to his disciples but some final words was I have been given authority over heaven and on earth therefore go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded and then he says and surely I will be with you always even to the very end of this age I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be right there with you every step of the way. And in Hebrews, it connects that with what we've been talking about. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Right? Sounds like everything we've been talking about. And here's why, how it says we do that. Here's how we keep ourselves free from the love of money. Here's how we're content with what we have. It says, Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It says, We can be content with what we have, whether we have lots or whether we have little, because Christ has promised that we will always have Him. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He doesn't come and go like money and power that can just be thrown up in the air whenever anything random happens. He is there with us. He's a rock with us. He never leaves and He's always there providing and protecting us. And He is enough. No matter what we have, He is enough. And so we need to stop falling into the trap of loving money and pursuing money with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and instead rest satisfied in Christ and pursue Him and love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because that's the only place we'll find satisfaction and joy. Let's pray. Father, we come... And we first come to confess and ask forgiveness. Father, each of us comes knowing our own temptation, especially in our current day and age. We recognize our own temptation to love money and to pursue it and to think that money will solve our problems and that money will bring us joy and peace. Father, we, we confess that we do not look to you as we should. We do not give you thanks for the ways that you provide for us. And we do not rest in you as fully as we should. And so we pray, we ask that you would forgive us. And Father, we also ask that you would give us the gift that you've promised, that you can give us the gift to enjoy and be satisfied with what we have. And so we pray that you would stir our hearts to do that. That we could rest and have peace in our current situation right now, wherever we're at that we can find joy and satisfaction here because you are with us. Father, don't let us forget that you've promised that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Help us to rest in that and hold on to you throughout the ups and downs of all of our life. Help us to trust you, to provide for all of our needs, and help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And all God's people said, Amen.